Chili's, Applebee's, uh, Red Robin. Yes, all marketing, absolutely trash food. Everything's made in a commissary kitchen and just set out. It's microwave food just served in a restaurant. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> I just wanted to have a confidence. I still haven't hit my morning quota of caffeine. Uh, this will be seven shots of espresso now. Mm-hmm. So nice. I'm just you need a, you need eight or right? eight to ten. You you see my Instagram? Yes. Uh, I usually end up somewhere around like eighteen throughout the day. Oh yeah, throughout the day I can see that. So I drink coffee. After I do yoga, yeah, and then take a shower and get all that done, and then I'll usually have some sort of like milder uh, caffeine intake, like fifty milligrams via like the sparkling water, like mango sparkling water, mm-hmm. on my way to work, mm-hmm. and then throughout the day, yeah, and it's like espresso shots, or I'll usually bring something like a Gatorade, fast switch, or whatever. Rainstorm, something like that. I can't do the energy drinks. Mm-hmm. The either it's it's two things. One, it's the amount of sugar or the synthetic sugar. This synthetic me. Yeah, it's too much sugar. It messes up my stomach. I can't do the sugar or, or the fake sugar that gives me massive headaches. Uh, so like when people bake with like that fake sugar or like the erythrol or yeah, like I could see like stevia and stuff like that. Like I don't really use that. I use monk fruit extract, which yeah, but natural dill. It's like oh, rather I mean. If I'm going to have a cookie, I'm not rich sugar. But those energy drinks, man. Oof. Brutal. All right, so that's it. Is monsters. So, what's working with your hair and what's not working? Well, I usually just slick it back for the most part. Okay. And I like it lower around the ears. I guess the weirdest thing that I've noticed now is like when I slick it back, I get kind of this natural like part that I can't get rid of. But like it just kind of like splits. It's on this side. Okay. It's like after I use pomade, you know, suavecito, like yeah, firm hold. So in its back, like this part right here kind of just goes. Do you like that? I just noticed it. Okay. It doesn't like necessarily bother me, okay. but it's just something that I've noticed. No, what I hate is like when my hair grows out and this happens. I have a little wings on the Yeah. Side. Like when it starts growing out and that happens. Okay. When's the last time you got a haircut? Uh, it's been a while now, probably like. Close to eight weeks. Okay, so this is a... But you keep it fairly short, then. I keep it short, yeah. It's usually like a number three or so, like on the bottom. Okay. Um, and then just kind of fades up until it's longer on top. Do you like seeing any skin? Or is that like, you don't want to see skin? Not that, yeah. There's not that type. Not quite that. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I saw you was here in Austin when we went to... Um, Commodore. Commodore, which was... Awesome. Like right when they opened, yeah. Right when they opened, yeah. And then before that, I saw you um, in San Francisco. Yeah, right. When we went out, that was close to my birthday, right? We went to like... One other time after that. Oh, was it? after? Yeah, because I, I saw you the day after your birthday, and we ended up drinking a bunch of awesome tequila mm-hmm. at that at that uh, place called Tommy's Mexican. The Mexican place. Yeah, yeah. right. It was out in the Richmond on like Geary and 24th or something like that. Good plug for great Mexican food in San Francisco, by the way. Then it was after that, my friends were getting married. And uh, I remember because my parents were there. So we all, that that was the last time I think I saw you before we moved out to Austin. Yeah. Is the length on top too long for you? Are you? Oh, right now, yeah. There's probably like another like 
inch and a half, two inches shorter. So you're yeah. thinking like somewhere like this kind of stuff coming out. Okay, so yeah, I do keep it a little longer on top. So that way it can kind of- It lays down. Lay, lay it down, yeah. If we get too short, just, we get short spiky thing. And my hair is like kind of wavy. So when it's shorter, it'll just kind of like, just wants to stay. Uh, when you get out of the shower and your hair is wet, what are you, what's your your method of op, your your MO? You mean like after I dry my hair? Or I don't know. Like you get out of the shower, your hair is wet. What do you do? Towel dry my hair. That's the first thing I dry, actually. I get out, grab my towel, dry my hair in my face, uh, dry everything else off, and go in there. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, specifically for the day. <laughs> you don't understand. The hair doesn't stop here. It goes from here all the way. Yeah, yeah. From here, you're like, uh, Mary dude. Yeah, exactly. Mary like, dude. The chest rub going on. Yeah. So with your hair, so you towel dry your hair. Mm -hmm. Do you blow dry it? I do not, no. So uh, my routine is hair still kind of damp from the shower. I'll actually wet my hands a little bit and just kind of run it through my hair again. Okay. And then grab the pomade, rub okay. it on my hands, and then it works in better if my hair is like a little bit wet. Wet. But not nice. wet, wet. Yeah. Because the pomade's so thick. The water soluble product. Mm -hmm. So adding water is going to help dilute the whole, which may be important. As your hair gets longer, you may want to add more of that in your hair to kind of like keep it in place. Mm hmm. Or yes, wetting your hair down. Okay. Just fair. It's similar to Layrite, which is what I would use when my hair was short. So it's like Suavecito and Layrite are, um, I'd say they're brands that are similar. They probably, you know, are competing for the same demographic of customer. Mm -hmm. But they're like, they work identical. Um, you know, I think the only difference I notice is maybe some might be a little stronger in the fragrance. Yeah, for me, it... it Works the best. I've tried like, you know, the fixture lid and uh, who else makes stuff? Old Spice. That stuff's trash. That's how the Swamisito works the best. Yeah. yeah. For my hair anyway. Cool. So we're going to take this pretty short. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to use clippers. I think I'm going to try and get it tight. Do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And then if we need to, we can go through and dial in a little bit tighter. Just because you have wave in your hair, right? And so one of the things that I'm thinking is that since you have wave, can you wear your hair going back? Clippers are more of a, a vertical motion, right? So you're going mm -hmm. up and down, but you're wearing your hair going or going away from your face, not up and down, right? And you have a wave. So there are ways of cutting your hair to give it that direction as it wants to grow out. It will still want to continue to go off of your face. So good. Yeah, it'll look good if I take a three to the sides now, but I'm thinking, what if you end up in the same situation that you're in right now, which is it's been eight weeks in between haircuts because I know your schedule you've had, you. you you haven't really had a day off. <laughs> it, 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 which is the whole reason it took like, what, two and a half months for you to... Yeah. Two, three months yeah, for you to even... been trying since like March or... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now we're end of July, right? So it's been a long time. And so I'm thinking if, if you were to have that same situation where maybe you're understaffed and you need to fill in those positions, you'll still be able to look presentable. Mm -hmm. Is that cool? That works. Right. I like it. I don't have anything like Suavecito, but I will put something in your hair so you can still do that. Like that. So that's good. Your clean hair. I actually I love that you showed up with your clean hair air drying. So it gives me an idea of what your hair do. Like how it just naturally. Yes. Because the last time, um, I think, well, A, when I saw you at Commodore, your hair was styled. It wasn't natural, right? You're right. That's one thing. And the last time I remember seeing you from that, your hair was really long. When your hair is this short versus down to your shoulders, Gravity and weight take into effect. So if you have wave or curl, it's like, I'm not going to notice because LSHR is this curl. 
Yeah, my hair is yeah. Yeah, so I do. I have what I call Jesus curls. So I get like the big, the big <laughs> curls down there. I was telling somebody I feel like like my hair is somewhere between like. I feel like some days I feel like I I, I belong in like Ron Machado land, mm-hmm. the surfer. Yeah, and then other times I feel like oh I have a cool Chris Cornell day, and then other times I'm like I'm totally Sammy Hagar. <laughs> I'll take the Ron Machado, and yeah, the beach look is definitely. Yeah, sexier than Sammy Hagar. You don't want me that. That's like that mushroomy kind of curly hair. Well, that was also the style of the time, too. I right? know. I mean, like, styles change. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody ever wore their hair curly for years. And, like, all of a sudden, everyone's like, let's wear your hair curly again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'll, tr- I'll give this a shot. This spray model sucks. It reminds me of the Mr. Clean uh, that I use. Um, like, the... Like when you spray it, like keeps going. Yeah. So you have to kind of like pump it and then like keep moving it. Well, and like, the thing that sucks is it loses the pressure. Uh, so I'll spray and then it goes. And so I have to like open it and like get more air to come in the thing. Interesting. Not yeah. a good plug for that spray bottle. <clears throat> yeah. I, uh, and I and I remember I bought it at um, one of the like spots that you buy stuff as a hairdresser like one of the stores that only i can buy things at. right like like you have to be a professional yeah and i was like okay well so it's here it should be decent and it's like one of the worst and then i bought two because i didn't know which one i wanted they both suck <laughs> and the one i like is this like japanese brand and it's the sprayer on it is like beautiful and you're knowing what you do for a living which nobody knows yet like you know you pay attention to these small details of a tool, right? Oh, yeah. and, a, and a spray bottle, for some people, it's a spray bottle. For me, it's like a, it's a tool. It's a very, very usable tool. Right. And it's great, but the problem is like, if you end up, if it, if it falls or drops, there's like right on the shoulder of the, like let's say, like if this is the spray bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Like right here, it's, it literally is like a 90 degree angle like this, but this plastic's way more squeezable, right. right? The other one's really hard. So if it drops, it cracks and splits this whole thing. And so what I need to do is I need to find another spray bulb that has the same opening and then I could like modify. But I haven't found that one yet. Let's tell everybody what you do. I am a chef, non-celebrity chef. <laughs> Perhaps you figured that out already. But. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> That, you know, that should actually be, it should be like Spencer Lutz gets a haircut, non-celebrity show. Yeah. No, you're like, non-celebrity, like, like that's a weird thing to advertise. But it's true. I mean, whenever you tell somebody you're a chef, their eyes always light up. They're yeah. like, oh, like, and then they name all these celebrity chefs and you're like, no, I'm not, not like that at all. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to, to, um, to be one of my guests is because you're not a celebrity show. And I feel that chefs or people who work in that restaurant industry are all you only hear about the celebrity chef right yeah yeah well then i mean they're on tv so you know. well that's the whole reason you only hear about them because they've done something right but when you hear about like i don't know like the mom and pop chef person who happens to get like best of whatever that beats out the james beard restaurant the year before and it's like yeah i was like i've just been using my great grandma's recipes and i'm glad somebody likes them you know yeah and for those even you'd have to like read like an edible austin or some sort of like local uh chronicle yeah la chronicle something like that to even know about those you know yeah they're not like getting on like the today show or something. exactly yeah i mean they can get on the local like what's, what do we have out here i'll send 512 or something like that morning 512 yeah, I watch just TV anymore, except for my girlfriend. 
think she's the only one keeping terrestrial radio and regular ass TV alive. I listen to the radio. I do. You do? Yeah, I do. Old school with yeah. commercials radio? With commercials. I only listen to two stations mm. and it depends on what time of the day I'm in the car. So if it's in the morning, I'll listen to The Wave, which is in the morning, it's the uh, Booker, Alex, and, uh, and Amanda show. I think it's Amanda or Adriano. I forget. I've, they've switched up the new girl. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'll listen to that because I, I know Booker and I know Alex personally, and I think they're funny individually, and I know and their show's great. It reminds me of the fun days of morning t- uh, rock, uh, TV, not TV, morning radio. Right, like play rock. And like Kara, Kevin the Bean kind of stuff, right? Just fun, good stuff. Once they're off the air, I listen to the, the, the K-Rock, not the, not the K-Rock, the, the rock station. I forget what that one is. Is it the classic rock one? I think so. LBJ. Yes. KLJ. Yeah, KLBJ. Now, if you have a car that has HD radio, there's the there's two channels on that same dial. Have you done this? No, my car does not. I have a 2010 Prius. Okay, well, if you're in a car that has HD, like maybe your girlfriend does or something, mm-hmm. um, switch to the second channel on that. It's all death mode. Oh, really? Yeah, and I didn't know this because I was in a rental car, and I got into the car, and I was listening to it, but I, I had moved to the knob, or I thought I, what, what was the volume, and I had switched it to the HD channel, not knowing because it's a rental. I'm not familiar with the car. Mm-hmm. It's like, 7.30 in the morning, and I'm in my head, I see the same same numbers, like whatever, like 93, 95, whatever. 93.7? Something like that. Yeah. All I hear at like 7-something in the morning, I'm not even kidding, is the band Dying Fetus. Nice. And I'm like, whoa, this station goes hard. Because <laughs> like, the night before, there, I was like, they were like, you know, playing like AWOL Nation and Atlas Genius. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, whoa, so this is the hour I, and then they want to choose... Cannibal Corpse and died. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm like, screw my Starbucks order right now. I'm, I'm popped. Right, I'll be hit. Um, and caught off guard. Like, totally caught off. I was like, man, I was like, because that would never happen in California. It, if you listen to K-Rock and you listen to the HD station, it's all in 80s New Way. Okay. It's like the Talking Heads and Depeche Mode and like Adamant mm-hmm. and Morrissey. But, you know, during the day, it's just, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and... Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, right. Every once in a while, they'll throw you a bone and play some classic Radiohead or something. Yeah, but it's just always it's just always Chili Peppers. Yeah, it's annoying. Chili Peppers used to be so good, and it's like I don't know. Maybe I got old, or they got old. One of the two. You know what I realized about bands is like there are bands that grow, mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't grow with them. Yeah, I could say that. And I think that, and I think that's fine. It's like friendships. Plus, when you're in a band, like you get, to, you don't want to be doing the same thing, you know. It's a tell that to ACDC. I was gonna say, like the Stones and ACDC and stuff. Like it tough. works, it works for them. Yeah, I actually went and saw ZZ Tough. I don't know, like last year. Yeah, last summer with the new guy. Yeah, with the new bass player who has a beard. He looks just like he should have been in ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Ann Wilson opened up for him, and Jeff Beck did, and it was like two months before he died. That's nuts. It was right over uh, at Circuit of America. Yeah, right? it was at Coda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a completely unexpected thing about Jeff Back. Yeah, I know. I was like, dude, I just saw that, dude. It's kind of like we went and saw uh, Greta Van Fleet, and then like a month later, the lead singer blows out his eardrum and cancels the rest of the tour. I didn't even know that that happened. Yeah, it happened. Uh, so we saw them in November, I think, and then yeah. like by December, 
they had to cancel the rest of their tour because it blew out his eardrum. Is that like a recover thing? I think it, there's probably some permanent damage, I imagine. I but mean, yeah, your eardrum will, it'll fix. But yeah, I, but you won't be able to hear 100% after that. Probably not, no. I wonder if it's like certain frequencies, because I remember reading an article years ago that Les Claypool had a ruptured eardrum from scuba diving. Oh yeah, it's, it's exactly. Scuba diving. Yeah, I mean, and like, I think- Depression. On the way up or down, that and that took a long time to heal, and that's why they're like, "Why haven't you been making new music?" And he's like, "Well, I have this or something like that." How long have you been a chef? Oh, I'm gonna date myself now. I don't care. Eighteen years. Eighteen years. Eighteen years professionally. Yeah, I went to culinary school nineteen years ago, and I was working in kitchens, but just not getting paid. I mean, you're working in kitchens and not getting paid. Well, explain that. I don't understand that. Uh, so you do these things called stages. Usually, they only last like a day or two maybe, depending on the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a physical trial, just to make sure that you have like enough technique and chops to actually get the job at yeah. a line cook. Okay, It's very common in the industry. Uh, some places pay you, some places don't. Since I was like in culinary school and literally had only been in culinary school for two weeks, we had an assignment where we had to go do a stage for a place just to kind of get an idea how it is to work in a kitchen. The guys uh, at this restaurant, I went to a restaurant off of Melrose, it was called Alex, that was the name of the chef. He was a Scottish guy doing kind of French bistro cuisine, a little bit, a little bit more, you know, they had like mango relish and stuff like that with the crab cake. So a little, a little bit different than, you know, French cuisine, but. French, do you not do a mango relish? No, I, the French do not use the mango too often, no. I, I don't know. <laughs> My only real understanding of French cuisine is uh, anything that has a red wine reduction, beurre blancs, and steak frites. Yeah, and escargot. You know. Never eaten that. Oh, you should. That'd be good. I've had frog legs. I've had frog legs. Yeah, frog legs will get good. The frog legs are good. Frog legs are good. Yeah, so I did a stage. Uh, they liked me. Uh, it happened to be, I got that kind of stepped in shit on that one. It happened to be a wedding that night, so people had bought out the restaurant. Uh -huh. So I really just had to kind of help them plate like these, you know, everybody was getting the same kind of, Everybody's getting the same thing. Plating is, I believe, talking to you. I mean, it feels like it's like its own art form. It is definitely an art form, if not the highest art form of uh, of being a chef. That's probably the most difficult to make. Like to make food look beautiful, especially on camera. That's like like all those like food and wine magazines mm -hmm. and stuff. Like I've done photo shoots of filming food or you know photographing food. Yeah, it is extremely difficult. It is very time consuming because. Food doesn't like to be, uh, have its picture taken, I guess. So I guess with Instagram and stuff now, it's different. That's why you ever see that Instagram post that kind of look like shit most of the time. Like, oh, check out my steak tartare. I'm like, that looks like somebody shit on a plate. But it's just cause like you have to do a lot to it with the lighting and basically undercook it and all this stuff to make food look like it does on a partial. I remember watching like a video, like how to do a food thing. And they're, and they're like, they're like misting the hamburger with water, so the bun has this nice sheen to it. Exactly, otherwise it just looks dead, dull, like. And it's funny, because you say that, and all I keep thinking about is the scene in the movie with uh, Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Mm -hmm. He's at the, like the, the which is supposed to be the McDonald's. Right, yeah. The sun is like 10.32, and they stop serving breakfast right. at 10.30. He's like, sorry, it's after 10.30, and he's like, screaming, like, why does that, he gets his, you know, crappy little hamburger, and he's like, screams like, my, like the picture, yeah. And I look like the picture, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, you've seen it. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's but that, it's, I actually call that a dark comedy. It is, but it's like it's so like we've all had those days. The whole day is just like the world is shitting up okay, repeatedly. Yeah. yeah, like every hour is a new case of diarrhea. Yeah, and instead of you having it, it's having it on you, and that's the movie. It is. It's like a dude who's just tired of being shit on. He's like, I'm not standing for this anymore. And I need a beautiful burger in my life. After watching that that um, YouTube about styling food, because someone had asked me, since I do photography, like, hey, could you do uh, some food photography? And I was like, oh, I've never done food photography. I said taking photos on for sending it, you know, on my travels to like my, to my wife or my friends. Like, oh, look, I'm eating, you know, wherever you told me to eat at. I was like, I have no clue. So I started doing a little R and D, and I was mm -hmm. like, I hope, I hope he knows how to do these things with the food. Right. Yeah. I can get the lighting right. I can get the angle. But outside of making the food look delicious, that's all that. Yeah. No. It's a it's yeah. a thing. Talking about a toolkit, like you'll be using chopsticks, you know, toothpicks, um, like you said, water, like sprayed paintbrushes, like all sorts of stuff. Like you need so, so many things in your arsenal. Like just to like tweak someone. It's like, oh, that green onion's kind of hanging in a weird way. And I can't really get to it. All right, let's get these chopsticks out. Kind of just give it a nudge. Like it's very odd. It is strange, the whole thing. But it, I've always just wondered like if, I, like, if you were to own a restaurant, Spencer. Which I would never do, by the way. But go ahead. Is, would you, like if you're going to do advertising for the food in the menu, does it really matter how great the food is if it just looks delicious? Like I'm imagining, yeah. this is the reason like these big chains, like, like an Applebee's, is they spend the money in the advertising. Mm -hmm. And then the food turns out like in the movie, falling down. Yeah. Like yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that like the best way to like entice people's having these beautifully shot things and they're just serving like whatever later? It'll definitely help get people in. It's a, it's a weird thing. So there's like the culinary world is... It has so many different facets. You could open up a mom and pop shop, you know, and then just yeah. kind of like word of mouth, try to get your stuff around. Like you're just, you make good food. You're hoping, you know, you're kind of throwing prayers in a bucket and just hoping that, you know, somebody eats there that loves it and passes it on around town. That's one dynamic. And then it's like, you know, that's very low overhead and whatnot. Then you have like the fast food or well, fast food, we'll just take that out of the equation. Big brands, like you're saying, Chili's, Applebee's, uh, Red Robin, and that yeah, kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. So yes, all marketing, absolute trash food. Everything's made in a commissary kitchen and just sent out. It's microwave food just served in a restaurant. Everything comes in a bag. They don't really have, well, I mean, probably Red Robin does have a grill, but every place else, like it's just a wall of microwaves. Really? And yeah. And they're just heating things up like it's an old person's home. Is that why they don't have open kitchens? Yeah. We'd, we'd be in on the... You'd, be, you'd just hear beep, beep, The whole time. Sweet, ready. Yeah. I mean, that's why they have the music so loud. That's why they're restaurants. <laughs> yeah. So you can't hear the microwave beeps. And they probably have fryers too. I would imagine that it'd be really difficult to replicate French fries to have that crispiness mm -hmm. in a microwave. Yeah, no, you can't do that in a microwave. Unless you have a row of air fryers. <laughs> which is the Fossil. only way I've been able to replicate, replicate French fries at home is when I have an air fryer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're little like those things that always have like a grill. Uh, like, oh, how would you like that cooked? It doesn't matter. You're getting the steak how the fuck it comes out of that conveyor belt no matter what. 
however you order it. I don't eat at those places too often anymore. It's usually like a bite the bullet. Somebody's, you know, grandma invites you or whatever, and you have to go to Olive Garden. So it doesn't matter like how you order it. Like it's not coming out that way. I try not to eat at chain restaurants because I don't trust the sourcing of the food. No, yeah, it's 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 like, like prison-grade food. Yeah. It's just still better than what they serve kids in school. Yeah, which is sad. That is a super sad thing. Hi, I, I killed a lot of people. I'm in prison for life, and I'm eating better than your third grade. Yeah, it's like I really respect people like Alice Waters and um, Jamie Oliver and stuff who brought that, you know, to light and, you know, unfortunately hasn't caught fire too much yet. There are efforts to make food better in schools. I like Jamie Oliver. He's one of those like celebrity chefs that I actually think would be a really cool person to like talk to. Yeah, still down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that about Gordon Ramsay. I mean, he'd be funded interview, I guess. His shows are just such bullshit though. Right. Well, yeah. If you ever treated anybody like that, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. They'd be like, dude, go fuck yourself. I think that was a little displayed up for the, uh, the, for the camera. It is. Yeah. And there are chefs out there. And so the thing is like, that's how kitchens used to be. And like, if you were really, if you were a 20 year old, like super hard up to work at a Michelin star restaurant, you might take abuse like that, but not for long. It'll eventually like, you'll wear a very screw this. Yeah. And you can't, you can't handle that stress. You, you will. And you'll kind of, um, and I'm this way too, because I've had chefs that were pretty rough, but really not as bad as Gordon Ramsay. Cause he's just an idiot. But the, well, not an idiot. The, the way, <laughs> like what are you the way he is on hell's kitchen, it's like these other shows are cool. Like I loved kitchen nightmares. Great show. That's very true. That, that was where like, I think a lot of people got to see this other side of Gordon. Yeah. So random story. Um, one of the girls I, I used to work with back in California, mm -hmm. um, was his hairdresser. And I randomly met her at a taping of Hell's Kitchen. So I actually went to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, oh, um, I, I cut Corda's hair and I decided to come down to the set. I was like, well, what's he like? She's like, he is one of the nicest, most generous guys. And hearing that and only knowing him from the context of Hell's Kitchen, it was a little bit of a stretch, but then you see Kitchen Nightmares and then, you, and then you see the passion he has, but like it comes in a very loving, more like the the parent who's like, you could do so much better. Yeah, more yeah. like a mentor. Yes, I agree with you about ki Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, Kitchen Nightmares, is, it was, and that's where he got his rise to fame though. So that's, I, when people think of Gordon Ramsay, they think of uh, Hell's Kitchen, yeah. Gordon Ramsay. It's actually all, I think, fake. I think it's all scripted. Um, you know? Yeah, I had a friend who did the catering on that show. Funny enough that you would actually have craft catering on uh, culinary show, but they did. And yeah, it's like very, they're like, well, you have to, you have to have catering on every show. It's like part of like, a, I think like a, you like a union thing. Okay. Yeah. It is. You, there, there'd be no way they would force the talent to cook their food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing that always annoyed me about that show is when he would call out tickets, you know, these guys don't have a ticket in front of them. So they have to remember everything. That's fine. They have like one or two things coming off their station. Not easy. All right. And not that difficult, but he'll be like, all right, ordering it. Do you see if I was ordering a scallop? And I was like, okay, you just made absolutely no sense. Nobody heard what the hell he said. Are you sure that just because he has an English accent? No, he would say it so fast. Okay. Normally he'd be like, ordering in two scallop, one sea bass, three filet mignon, something like that. You know, like everyone can hear you and they call back, yes, chef. Do you think they did that to like match the contestants a bit? Possibly, but I'm just like, that's not how, like it, as, for somebody working in kitchens, you're like, that's not how you do that. You know, you're like, that's just, and then you have to turn the channel because now, <laughs> now the facade is broken. You're like, I hate this show now. Because it's not 
it's not yeah it's just it's not a realistic depiction of yeah exactly that world i've never worked in a restaurant mm. i've never once well lucky you <laughs> you know what uh you and i have known each other for a long time 20 over 20 years now yeah i'm 20 yeah i met at least when i was three yeah you were 19 18 no no i think it was i think it was just out of 17 17 or 18 yeah i think it was like at I don't think I was 70. I think it was 18. I think you were 18. 18. Yeah. Back in California. And so I've only ever had three jobs, which was I sold guitars. I worked at the camera store and then I started doing hair. Like that's it. I feel like you've only from, to my knowledge, only had like two careers. You, you did something with like, I forget what it was, some office job. Yeah. I did like insurance tracking and we, then, won't, we won't talk about that. And then you decided to make like a, a, a wildly crazy turn into culinary. Yeah, I did. And it, it surprised me because I never heard you once talk about food. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm passionate about food. I'm like, I've never heard you once mentioned. It's funny because ever since I was like, uh, probably like 11 or 12, yeah. I really liked watching uh, like the cooking shows at that time. They were just on PBS. There was no Food Network or anything. So it was a lot of these. Uh, you know, there was Yan Can Cook. Everybody knows that guy. Who? Yan Can Cook? No. Martin Yan? No. Yan Can Cook and Sucking You. No. Very good. Her uh, unfortunate. No, he was great and great. Just big personality guy that would teach people basically like how to cook at home. Uh, Chinese food uh, primarily. Okay. Then there was a, a British guy called Graham Care who did health food, like healthier foods to cook at home. I really loved him. He was just, he was almost this Mr. Rogers kind of personality and just like okay. very loving, like you just loved this guy. Like he was just like a great like uncle or dad you could have. So I tried cooking a few of his recipes at like 12 years old and yeah, just my parents ate it. I'll just say that. So I was 12, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. No, it was uh, great. And just last night I, I let um, Tam, he's six. Uh -huh. he, he's been kind of showing interest because like, I do a lot of cooking. We made tacos last night. He really wants to help in the kitchen. And so yeah. I put him on uh, tortillas. So we have our comal, right? We have our... Mm -hmm. And then he was, you know, I give him the oven mitt. So that way if he needed to grab something, he has the oven mitt. Then he has this little, little you know, uh, I like to use a uh, spatula that's metal that's more like for fish. But mm -hmm. the one with the light one, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the ones with the slits in it. Yeah, it's like kind of curved. I like because it it's thinner than the plastic ones. He was using that to like flip the tortilla over. Because I don't, I, I would use my hands. Right. But that's not really like a great example. For a six-year-old. For a six-year-old. For a child. Touch hot, touch hot things. Yeah. Hey, don't touch hot things, but watch dad just burn his you know, <laughs> fucking fingerprints off. Right. He loved it. And uh, he wants to do more of that. I told him, I go, look, you know, learning how to cook is one of those things that's going to help you the rest of your life. Yes. It's the things, so there's few things that they teach you in like, even at like a high school level. I don't think they do that. Yet. They don't. That's what I'm saying. They should teach you like what I call life skills. Like that's a life skill. Like learning how to cook for yourself is a life skill. You don't need to be a chef. You don't need to be like gourmet, but just being able to like make yourself a freaking grilled cheese sandwich or heat up, you know, some salmon or, you know, just know how a free how to oven eat. works. Yeah. Hey, you taught me how to make eggs. Yeah. Didn't I? Yeah, you did. Probably. You told me how to make eggs, and you, and, you, and you also taught me how to flip the eggs in the pan. Ah, uh, which is a skill. Yes. And to, like, not make them brick. Mm -hmm. And I, got, I haven't done that in years. I got it to a point where I was doing, I was able to do it, like, pretty much in my sleep. And the reason I say that is because I came home once from a, a night out drinking uh, many adult beverages, and I was craving just, like, diner food. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, I have eggs, and I have bread. Right. And I have a toaster and an oven. So like, let's do this. I somehow was able to do this 
Mm -hmm. Maybe not three sheets to the wind, <laughs> but a few. But close. And I was like, well, I didn't break those big fence. Like, I remember, like, always, every time I do that, I'm like, man, the fence is the mass master at this. I have flipped so many eggs. Yeah, egg cookery is actually very important uh, in the chef world. You know, the toques, uh, those are those funny, tall, white French hats. Yeah, yeah. What's up with those things? So that's just like a classic, like, French, you know, the French created like Cook. modern cuisine, basically, or, you know, what was modern cuisine at that time? Techniques, um, but you know, sauces, all the stuff. Escoffier, yeah. So it was Escoffier, yeah. Him and... Uh, it's on my bookshelf. So, oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. The folds, it has 101 folds in it. And each fold is a way you can prepare eggs. Like it is the 101 ways that eggs can be prepared. I never... Okay, so to me, there's... There's only like a few ways. Um, <laughs> scrambled. Just great. Yeah. Which which I think probably started off as like some chef or some cook for some king. And they fucked up the egg. And they're like, I don't want my head chopped off today. Yeah. Uh, let's make it work. Throw some stuff in there. And I'm like, what is this? It's a scrambled egg. Yeah, I imagine it, it came from like a, a fear. <laughs> and then, you know, you got like over easy, over medium. Mm -hmm. Right? Your classic diet stuff, sunny side up. Yeah. And but then there's pasted, poached, yeah. Poached, you have, uh, would a frittata fall into that category? Or is that something completely different? It could be, because, I mean, I could not rattle off the 101 ways. I just know that little piece of trivia. Yeah, I don't know if, like, tige, frittata, you know, uh, espanol, uh, tortilla, which is, you know, it's an egg. Basically, it's the Spanish version of a uh, frittata. Okay. I don't know if those fall into that category, because that's just, like, that's basically scrambled eggs that you're just mixing stuff into and baking it. Which is delicious. Which is great. Yeah. That should be like leftover bacon or extra ham. Anything. Bell peppers. Caramelized onion. Potatoes. Yeah. Useless facts. That's great dinner trivia. It is, yeah. It could be. Depends yeah. on how much somebody cares about eggs. But I think everybody should care about eggs because, I mean, that's just, that's life giving you life. Even from like a vegan, like animal cruelty standpoint, mm -hmm. like eggs are just like, free protein. It's just an unfertilized egg that's just going to rot. Like you would be silly not to use that as food and like an awesome source of protein. So you're not a vegan? No, I do not agree with the vegan <laughs> mentality. For a number of years, I was what I'd call like a vegetarian. Like I, I really was. But I was like yeah. a very unhealthy vegetarian. Which I was star, yeah. I dated a girl who was raised vegetarian her whole life. Mm -hmm. I was incorporating a lot more vegetarian entrees and meals in my life. And I started noticing my energy level just dropping. Yeah, for sure. I just sort of go with like, if I feel better eating something afterwards, then I'm going to eat more of it. And so I, I somewhere in the long line, I realized that when I have higher protein intake, um, I just function better. Yeah, as I think most people do. Uh, unless you have some sort of, you know, underlying, you know, either disease or just the way your body processes foods, mm -hmm. a high protein diet is the best diet that a human being can have. That's just what we're supposed to eat. That's how our evolution is. And that's how your body functions the best. Yeah. You get the most vitamins, you know, people don't know there's a lot of vitamins and nutrients that you can only get through animal-based proteins. Everyone's all about eating the egg whites, but not the yolk. Yeah, exactly. So that, yeah, it, yeah. My understanding was the yolk was the most nutrient-dense part mm -hmm. of the egg. Like, that's actually 
parking should be eating. If your diet for fitness or whatever was like, you have to eat six egg whites every day. Yeah, you're not getting the full protein amount of those egg whites. You're getting the low fat version of an egg. Somebody I talked to about this, uh, it was a, uh, he's a registered dietitian, was saying that like the amount of fats and all the omegas, um, even with the, the possibility of a higher increase of cholesterol, which was a topic that we, him and I were discussing at that time. Ooh. And just remember him saying that even if you just have like one egg with a yolk in that setup, you would be far better suited for more of a balanced meal than if you had tried to substitute the fat with like a cottage cheese mm -hmm. or some sort of low fat dairy cheese product because beyond the fat, there is like other vitamin sources or something like that. Yeah, there is. There's, there's a lot in there. And I mean, I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist or anything, I, I, but I do follow, um, you know, people who are. So I know, you know, the street, street version of that. About the low fat thing, the low fat stuff always has high sugar. Like if you look at the label, anything that's low fat will have a higher sugar count than uh, you know, for example, the easiest example is like whole milk, whole milk versus low fat milk or 2% milk. Yeah. The sugar is so much higher in, in the, uh, the lower fat version. I don't know why they did that. I don't know either. I mean, I, um, I mean, just recently Texas was able to, now you can buy raw milk. Yeah. Yeah. That's good too. I cream floating on top. I love raw unpasteurized milk. Mm-hmm. And people are like, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. I'm like, no. We're not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. We have we have health, we have a lot stricter health uh, codes and stuff now. All the best cheeses are from unpasteurized milk. Yeah, yeah. which you used to only be able to get from like Europe and mm -hmm. then it'd have to get imported over to get a raw milk cheddar or something. And now you can get it at, you know, Central Market or uh, Whole Foods or whatever. You still can't buy the, uh, the, the raw milk there though. Funny enough, I thought it was crazy that like, Texas had not had that. I thought it, for sure. I mean, Texas, like everything is, you know. Everything's pretty much legal here. Yeah. I mean, it truly is like a little bit more like the wild west. And then I was like, wait, what? That's, a little, that's where you draw the line? Like, raw milk? Yeah. Like raw milk. For your, okay, that's, that's, that's the hill you're dying on. Got it. <laughs> Meanwhile, like California is like, you know, you can't do like anything in California. It seems like. No, no. They, but they've had that for years. Like the one thing they still have. I was like, oh, so I may go back to California. I was trying to go to, and just pick up some raw milk so I can get it at, at the larger health food places or health food markets. Mm -hmm. Like out here, the health food markets don't even have that. You may be able to find goat milk. I don't know. I've only ever seen like one brand of goat milk. It's that, I think it's Myersburg or something like that. I'm not familiar. Yeah, that's, I used to have to buy it for, uh, when I worked at Shore, we made our Leche de Tigre out of uh, goat milk. And that was the only brand. And it was hard as fuck to find too. But if you can buy any food direct from a farmer, uh, that's the best food you can get, you know, because it hasn't been, it hasn't been in, it hasn't been treated in any way to like be able to be shipped or, you know, most, most supermarkets, everything's factory, right? It's factory meat, it's factory produce. It's just the worst thing for the world in the environment. Factory? Yeah, factory anything, factory farming, like they just decimate our soil. The government subsidizes soybeans, it subsidizes corn, wheat, all these things that just rip all the nutrients out of out of the soil. And then it just basically it kills it kills that 
the soil in that land. So you can't grow shit on there for, you know, 10, 15 years until it can regenerate itself. So are you found regenerative farming? Absolutely. That's what I was saying. Like the, buying direct from a farmer who uh, is like a small farmer, you know? Okay. Not like Purdue farmer. That's the thing. Cause they do, you know, the animals put nutrients back into the soil. You're growing, you know, things in different areas and you're growing the right things at the right time. And you're not like overgrowing, um, you know, the amount you're not crowding it. You're not spraying it with pesticides because you don't need it. Cause you're going to, I mean, you're going to lose some crops anyway to bugs and stuff like that. That's just, that's nature, you know, mm -hmm. but those bugs and stuff add, add, um, other critical elements to that farm to where the worst, I mean, Factory farm meat, yes, it's gross because they crowd them and, you know, uh, you know, shoot them full of antibiotics and all sorts of crazy shit. Produce is not any better because, like I say, it does rip all the nutrients out of the soil. But they also, when they go in and, you know, the, that corn crop's done, they just till all that stuff. So they're tilling all the wildlife that's around there. Like, you know, tilling. Like where you tear up, you're just like tearing up the earth to kind of like, oh, it's softer sand. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, Scott. So they till all that up. And in that process, they're tilling up, you know, the, the animals that are around there, you know, whatever, rodents, you know, if there's a rabbit running by, sorry, dude, like you're getting yeah. mulched up in there. So the whole vegan thing annoys the hell out of me, like with that, because it's like, okay, well, if you're not growing your own food, basically, like then you're a, you're not helping, you know, protect animals and stuff because that whole factory farming for produce, yeah, destroys animal life. For you, it's the hypocrisy of like, save the animals, don't eat them. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be a big supporter of large factory corporate farming, which indirectly is just killing animals. Yeah, so it's even worse because you're just killing them for no reason. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I I've heard that before. I don't actually have an opinion about people being vegan or not. I just look at it like is if you're healthy, doing whatever you're doing, then mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. That's what I'm saying. Everybody's body is different, so certain diets work for certain people, right? Like they feel better. Like if you have heart disease and you have to be a vegan for six months to kind of get your cholesterol back in order or whatever, you know, cut all fats out of your diet and stuff. I like, I understand those things. If you're going to be a vegan and try to stand on your high horse, which a lot of them do, you know, we've all seen, was that Scott Pilgrim versus the world? I'm vegan. We're just better. You know? Well, there's like that joke, like what do, uh, it's like, uh, vegans and cross stitters have the same, like, like they would never be able to survive in fight club. Because the first whole fight club is not talking about, <laughs> like, talking about fight club. And it was just like, it was like the first steps like the jokes, like, oh, uh -huh. v vegan cross-sitters would never be able to because they'd always be like, oh, hi, I do vegan and cross-sit. Mm -hmm. like, I remember for a while, like, that was like a reoccurring meme that just kept popping up. I didn't even knew a lot of people who did cross-sit at the time. Yeah. And they wouldn't shout yeah. about it. No, yeah. But they were always injured, too. It's a lifestyle. They were, but they were always injured. Yeah. It's no, like, you're not doing it right. Like, you're so <laughs> focused on the competition, you're not focused on your form. You, yeah, that's the thing. Like, any professional weightlifter will tell you form over, like, uh, you know, weight. Yeah. Or speed. Yeah. Which, which but at, at the same time, I also love the workouts that CrossFit do. Absolutely. What they do, they're like, they're great full body workouts. Using things that you can just, like, find around. You don't need, like, a universal gym or... You don't need to spend a lot of money on it. Uh, yeah, like I don't, like if somebody's vegan, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I'm like, I know deep down they probably don't feel good on the inside. They might feel morally good, but I know physically they probably feel like shit, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have any uh, 
in my immediate circle, I don't have any friends that are vegan. Mm -hmm. At one point, there was somebody I knew, and she, for years, was a raw vegan. That's intense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember she was over at my house, and I was like, I, I cannot offer you anything in my house. <laughs> I literally probably those people coming into a restaurant. Oh, like, God. I have water for you. I, I literally was like, I have this potato. <laughs> and I don't think you can even cook it till it's going to be delicious. I mean, you can yeah. it like an apple. She's like, I'll just wait. The reason she was raw actually made sense to me in, in, in it, when it came to actually the, getting the nutrients out of vegetables. Mm -hmm. it, it made sense to me, which I took that little bit, tidbit and put it into my own lifestyle. Like, all right, well, I don't want to overcook green beans. Definitely. Not. I don't want to overcook broccoli. Like there's this fine line where, you know, even with vegetables, like to pull a, a term for pasta, like there is this al dente. Mm -hmm. Like thing. Yeah. Cause yeah, if you overcook it, then you've left all the nutrients in the water. Yes. So you just cooked it all out. Which is like those like uh, Appalachian uh, style green beans. And no, that, they're just like, they're literally just mush. <laughs> and I saw it popped up on my, my uh, Instagram because somehow as a hairdresser, nothing hair pops up on my Explorer feed, which is, I'm so stoked. Like the last thing I want to do is see more of what I do for, <laughs> for a living. Um, I, I want to see other stuff. Yeah. You want to escape it. Yeah, and food food is one of those that pops up. It's like food, guitars, and muscle cars. Those things pop up, I'm happy. And it was like, show how to make things Appalachian green beans. And you have like these whole red potatoes, and then put like all this water, and they go, now boil it down, and like the water's dissolved. And I'm like, okay, they're done. Because they left it done. They go, gotta add more block. They added like, <laughs> they did this three times. What is wrong with those green beans where you go cook them for some damn log? I'm gonna send you the video because it looked, I was like, this doesn't, it, it looks unappetizing to me. Yeah. It's almost like it's a joke. Like those things, like I thought I mean for more recipes. I thought it was a joke and, I, and it's a real account. All I kept thinking about is, is, is if this is how, if this is like a normal staple, they're not getting a lot of good minerals, not getting any sort of a nutrient dense food. No, no, that no. cuisine. And that's one thing about animal proteins too, is like you can cook them, you know, obviously the people that are eating well done, that's. That's kind of the mindset from back in the day when, you know, there was a lot of disease and stuff because there wasn't as much um, oversight mm -hmm. on, on um, sanitation. Real but now it's like, it's impossible to like grow disgusting meat. Real quick, how's this length right here on the side? Do yeah, do you mean it closest to the ear? Uh, not this part. I'm going to take that, but I'm going to clean this up with the edgers. I was wondering, you know, is this, right here? Is this angle and shape good? Yeah. So you've been doing this whole chef and thing for 18 years. Sure have. Um, I know in that time, uh, I remember you were working at some place in like Pasadena at one point. You were working out in Palm Springs at like, I think it was like one of those country club yeah. things where you can only die. Like somebody has to die, I believe, for somebody to move into those neighborhoods. Uh, those country clubs? Yeah. 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 Some of them... Uh, I did work at one of the top ones. It was probably number two. There was one called The Quarry, which literally had like, I think something crazy, like 60 some odd members. And that was it. It was like smaller, but it had like two golf courses on it. And it was just super high end people, very hard, hard to get into. And the other one, the one that you worked at, my, my, my client actually lived there. At Vintage? At yeah. Vintage Club? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was like the highest one. Like the members there were like former presidents and you know, obviously like top golfer guys. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he, he, yeah, he had a house there and in Bel Air. Vintage, beautiful country club and they were Tom Fazio courses. Tom Fazio is like the number one uh, golf course architect 
you know, he's like the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright of, of golf courses. And I also worked at Bighorn, uh, Bighorn Golf Club, so it was called. And that had Tom Fazio courses too. When I was there, they hosted the uh, Women's PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. uh, or it was, uh, yeah, it was Women's PGA, but it was like the Samsung event, the Samsung Tour, yeah. whatever. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. That's cool. Just being a part of that and like seeing that production and mm -hmm. just the, the circus that comes with that. Like it's just those little things about being a chef is what um, can kind of keep you going. Like just the change, you know, because sometimes you get into a routine and it's like, yeah, it's kind of boring. And then, you know, as a chef, that's when I'm like, all right, we're changing the menu. But when you get like cool stuff or cool people that come in and sub and kind of sparks the fire again. You were living in San Francisco for, for a moment, and then I know you hate out of San Francisco because it was just like chaos to live there. And I moved to San Francisco at the perfect time for all the pricing to go up on it. So it was great. <laughs> I don't never take real estate advice from you. Oh God, it was awful. But you were an executive chef. I was, yeah. I was in charge of, there was four restaurants. Uh, for It was like a micro, you can call it a chain, but it was all right there in the Bay Area. It was a local chain, yeah. You yeah. Know, micro chains, whatever you want to call them. I think those are like my favorite, really. Like they They're eat, good. Is it here? Because they're kind of around, right? Yeah, you get the uh, you get the corporate aspect of it with like consistency and, you know, higher standards, things like that, that, you know, a, a one-off restaurant might not have just because of, you know, they're just not experienced in that. And scaling a restaurant mm -hmm. is a whole other art form. It is. It's very, the business side of being a chef is something I learned with Pacific Catch, which was the, the company we're talking about right now in San Francisco. It's almost more important than any other aspect of owning a restaurant or running a kitchen is just keeping your, because the profit margin is so slim in restaurants. What, what are we talking about? Like on the average, not like, you don't have to give me the actual, like, um, I'm not looking for, like, what the restaurant you're at or previous well, restaurants, but, like, the industry average. Industry average of, like, what percentage of profit they make? Yeah, so, like, let's say you have uh, your overhead mm -hmm. is to keep a business running as like, what's, a, what's, like, a realistic number per month when you factor in, like, salaries or... Yeah, that's going to vary. It, you would have to go more by percentages than actual dollars okay. because everything, you know, there is... 60 seat restaurants, there's 30 seat restaurants, there's 240 seat restaurants. Okay. Or there's a Cheesecake Factory in Palm Springs that has 640 seats. Really? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I'll say profit wise, after you get, um, well, there's two, we'll start with the two biggest um, expenses that a restaurant has yeah. is in what you call your prime costs. That's gonna be your labor mm -hmm. and your food costs, like the amount the amount of money you spend on bringing food in. Not surprising. Yeah. So those are your biggest um, expenses. And you try to keep them both. Well, if you have a food cost of 28% or so. What's 28%? What do you mean a food cost of 20 So that's uh, the amount of money you spent bringing food in. It's only 28% of the budget? To the amount of money of food sold, like the amount of money you make in sales. Let's say street math. You you spent $30,000 bringing in food, you know, all your meat, all your produce, yes. all that stuff. And then you may, you sold in food $100,000 worth of food, then your food costs 30%. Yeah, right. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I, I, I just didn't clear in that because I'm like, I've... And that's why you might go to restaurants and, you know, some people go to restaurants and they're like, shit, it's expensive. It's like... Yeah, but that restaurant's probably not making that much money off the food. Like it just, it takes, you know, three times the amount 
they, like you have to charge like three times the amount basically in order to make to cover your labor you know all the excess fees that come with that and mm-hmm. um or, you know with the transportation of it keeping the lights on yeah your electricity the air conditioning you know all that stuff yeah that's what you're paying for you're not just paying food to food to plate you know you're here for everything you're also paying for front of house everything yeah well which in california that's a bigger thing than out here out here it's a state where you know servers make like two dollars and thirty cents or whatever an hour so they live off their chips which used to be the 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 standard with 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 uh serving yeah yeah you make you you don't not that it's not that it's right not that it's right or it's wrong it's just like that's what it used to be and then Mm -hmm. but i feel like once california started increasing than a minimum wage. Yeah. I started noticing these iPads popping up where you'd be able to order or self-checkout. Oh, yeah, like a toast system where they're just like, yeah. they're there and they're just like, pushing oh, the numbers. I remember like you walk into like a Red Robin or something like oh, that size and you could go to the table and you could just kind of punch it in, which, which for me wasn't shocking because at the airports, when I'm traveling all the time teaching, like almost all the restaurants are now an iPad. And you just kind of touch what you want, and then some random person brings you your drink, and then some other person is bringing you your meal, and then somebody else is picking it up. There is like no interaction with one consistent human, right? Which kind of takes away from the whole experience of eating out. Which when you're at the airport, you're just trying to get the fuck in and get the fuck out anyway. So, wait, wait, wait. but then there's like a spot for like make leave a tip. Mm-hmm. And working in a service industry, I'm like gratuity is like, did you did you go? It's above and beyond. Above and beyond. So like to ask for something up front before you've even paid. And there's already like, like one man can mean like, I, you want to, because you know, these people are probably not making the most if they're living off of tips. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like at an airport. You want to get that, but at the same time, you also feel like, dude. Well, you're just getting, yeah, I, cheated. I, I, I work in the service industry, you know, and I do not expect ever to get a tip. Right. You know, um, because I understand what, to it like you know the per the definition i guess you could say yeah yeah so propinus as you were about to say um <laughs> uh, i got sidetracked cutting something so i was like thank you for finishing my thought fine uh hang on let me get this guy over basically just probably their new quiz okay i'm a beast well i don't know if it's attached to you or if it's what i've put well, it to the little bit of both probably i did shave before i came in so i shouldn't have the five o'clock shadow yet yeah, you're you're like you're like the real life Dan uh, Don Draper. <laughs> you know he had to shave oh. twice. Oh, did he? Yeah. Uh, so like with John Ham, him. John Ham would have to shave at twice in like a filming to keep it. Like he would grow that much. Well, he does have an enormous penis, so you know it's probably comes with a lot of testosterone. <laughs> I wouldn't know these things if I'm comparing. I know what you're looking up with <laughs> at night. I don't know how I come across these things, but it's like yeah, pictures of John Ham walking around without underwear on. I'm like, oh man. He's hanging Tom Jones style. You're welcome. I don't know what, what's on your... I Now I'm very much questioning what your, your homepage is. If you walk up in the end, I'm like, minus Fark, which is like the most random... That's my homepage. Have you been on Fark? I've heard of Fark. Yeah, it's been around for a while. I, my favorite. It's like the most... It's, it's like a, I had an, a client. He was a criminal defense attorney. He said his homepage was cracked, mm. which is like most random stuff. And I, we were sharing how similar the pages were. It says it's full of like useless information. Mm-hmm. When you click on the article, you actually like learn something okay. that you're never gonna find anywhere else. Interesting. So I recommend Fart. My home page is uh, Google. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm boring. I, I don't go on 
my laptop that much. Because of the uh, the, the podcasting now, mm-hmm. I'm always on my laptop. So I'm actually doing more internet browsing on the machine than I am on oh, both. Yeah. yeah, the phone is now turned into like the um, the digital correspondence. Like, I just long for a flip phone. I want to go back to like 1999, my Motorola flip phone, and I'll be happy. Oh, yeah. Could I have a cell phone that's like, what planet are you from? Which is weird because they've only been around for like, what, like 15 years maybe? With like, I'm sorry, off. No, no, like the iPhone, oh, like yes. with all the shit on it. Yeah, the smartphones. So the whole, we went, we told about off and ran. Of course, I'm very good at doing it too. So this, <laughs> this is great. Like, this will be great. Right, like, I'll be also undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> I refuse. Me too. I think it's just called energetic. I'm just energetic in yeah, my head. Yeah, I have a lot of energy. It's just, it's just going all over the place. Like, take this simple test to find out if you're an adult living with ADHD. And I'm like, no. I wouldn't care otherwise. I'm like, I'm not curing it. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just tell you that right now. Yeah. If I drink enough caffeine, I get really focused. So the profit margins are not very high in restaurant. No. So I'll say, yeah. So after you're Prime costs are done and you get all your, you know, what we call non-controllables. That's things like, you know, your rent and things like that, fixed priced items um, or expenses. Uh, after all that's said and done, if you're in double digits, like percentage wise, like if you're making 10% profit or more, you're like thriving as, really? as a restaurant. Yes. Most of them are in the single digits. The other crappy part is like when you first open a restaurant, like your sales are going to be awesome. Cause like you're the, you're the new hot girl in town. So everyone's coming, you know, I didn't mean coming like that. I mean, going to, you know, after a few years, then, you know, there's newer, younger, hotter chicks in town. So your restaurant sales you don't make as much profit because you're not making as much sales in most cases. You know, like if you're a celebrity chef or something like that, like, you know, I don't think Bobby Flay has to worry about those. Well, he probably does at a certain level, but like maybe he just didn't make as much money as last year. But I don't think he's, his restaurants will ever struggle because the name itself will bring you there. Well, it could struggle. If this is a massive economic downturn. There is definitely that. Yeah, depending you know, on... No, it's, it, fine, dizi, fine dining is not really going to... You know, that was like one of the things that I liked about um, Jean-Georges mm-hmm. is that he has his restaurant, right, in, in, um, in Central Park, right? The full restaurant. And then he had uh, things called Jojo's, which is his other smaller restaurant that each night of the week, there is a, a specialty on the menu that is from the Jean George restaurant at this. So you can get, you're getting great food at a much lower price point. But depending on which day of the week you go, you could get one of these stellar, you know, Michelin rated things in his other restaurant. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know, like if I had, you know, whatever it was on a Thursday night that they serve there and they have it also on the menu every night there, whatever it may be. I don't know how, you know, how good the, the quality of the matches up. Yeah. I don't know. I only went to JoJo's yeah. because I was looking at the prices of John George and good luck getting a reservation, right? Good luck getting a reservation number one. When you're in New York, like I, I was like every month, you're just kind of like picking new restaurants to try. You've maybe you're only given like three weeks notice to be somewhere, four weeks, and that's not enough to get in some of these restaurants. Some of these restaurants, yeah. I remember you said you, 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 you were on a wait list for one in New York for like what? It's nine months or something. A year for per, per se, like when it first opened, yeah. uh, Thomas Keller's thing there in uh, uh, Times Square. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a year in, in advance notice to get on there. And then I never went to New York, so it didn't even matter. Have you ever done New York? I've not been to New York. No, it's on my list, but it's not like top on my list, I guess. 
Oh, no, I would go in like the colder months. Like I'd go in like the fall or, or maybe even the winter. Uh, but I definitely don't feel like experiencing a New York summer. I would agree. Just however, however, if you are in New York in the summer and you happen to get there when it's like a nice, warm, hot weekend, not like a scorcher, mm-hmm. there's something really fun and magical about being in the summer in New York when it's warm and then you're at a rooftop bar and there, there's like this like evening coastal like breeze because, you know, it's around the water. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, there is something really cool about that. But if you're just like out shopping and you're just on the pavement the whole time, it's not great. Right. Yeah. I imagine like to me, New York in the summer, just um, it smells like hobo pee. Like that's just me. Uh, probably from living in San Francisco. You're, you're starved. I'm scarred. I loved San Francisco when I moved there. Uh, I mean, I moved there because I would, you know, go there on vacation and stuff or and I would visit. It was like my favorite city. And then I moved there and that's when it started turning. They just need, uh, they just need like a mayor to go in there and whoop some ass. Cause it is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. So like just eclectic and unique, you know, all the different houses, like every house is like a different color. Like there's like, purple and yellow and all this other. it's just this very vibrant kind of kind of old but kind of still modern like everything's like come kind of from like the 40s and 50s and mm-hmm. so it has that kind of architecture but it, it's there's a lot of asian influence in in there because they're like you know they they pretty much built san francisco chinatown's a huge thing and it's just i don't know it's like it's hilly there's tower it's really cool for great food it's cool yeah no i i get i get the food aspect of it like when i just never in the architecture part and i mean weather wise i mean come on that place is awesome for me i haven't gone to new, to new york and london before mm-hmm. really going to san francisco it didn't feel like a city mm-hmm. it felt like it didn't have certain things where like I would define as being like an, a big metropolitan city. Like it didn't have easy, accessible public transport. Like, oh, so I, I've never been to New York or London, but I, I thought San Francisco had good public transportation. I don't think so. Like I was trying to get the radio and like you had to take like five buses. You couldn't just get there. Where in New York, if you wanted to go somewhere, you could take the train pretty much in every direction. There's more trains and stuff. In, in that, that not just more trains, like it goes more, it goes mm-hmm. outside of like, if you're in the BART or the Muni, you were good. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to go to anything that was not on like the short list of destinations. Like you're saying Presidio, like a little more south. Beautiful. No, Presidio's great. Oh, like you just can't really easily get there. No, yeah, I've been, they had a Disneyland museum there or a Disney museum in, in the Presidio. I didn't know. I, I just, somebody said like, hey, you should go visit the Presidio. And so I was like, all right, let's go to the Presidio. It's a cool thing. I mean, it was like a, it was a fort or something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of brick buildings, like old school, just like brick buildings. And and I think uh, and George Lucas had something near there too. So oh, ILM could have been, was there at a yeah, yeah. studio there? Yeah. Yeah, it's right. I mean, it's right at the edge of where the Golden Gate Bridge starts. So. Well, if you go to New York, please let me know. Uh, I have a list of restaurants that you, I would recommend mm-hmm. that are, you know, some of them you, you may know about, some of them you may not know about, but uh, from going there and having clients over the years from New York, you start to get like a little bit of like, okay, like. It's almost as if you live there, like you got. Yeah, you, I mean, you got the, you know, I was going there for like almost 10 years, so. 
there's certain ones I'm like, oh, I have to go here every time, mm -hmm. if, if you can. And I know that you won't turn away much food. No, no, no. If I'm on, if I'm on vacation, like, yeah, I mean, it's out the way. You're, you're not like I have like a like I have a. I, there are cuisines I will not eat uh, because of spice level or flavor. I just don't enjoy them. Like I don't enjoy the way they taste. And in some cases, I don't like how they react to my body. Oh yeah, that's that. It, and it's not like hot. Like when I say it's the, it's like there's something in the seasoning oh. of the spice where Jeddah. Wrecks my body. Are you speaking of Indian cuisine and Thai? Because that's the ooh, that's unfortunate. Because people I know who love both those cuisines are really big supporters of it. Mm -hmm. I um, it just the both of those do not sit well with me, and um, you know it's not my choice. Yeah, I understand the the Indian one because I think a lot of people have that. It is a very aggressive flavor, like coming from like a Western palette, like the, the average Western palette. It's, it's a lot of different flavors and textures and things of that nature. Which I was fine with. When my buddy Raj was taking me to these Indian restaurants, I was like, oh, I'm fine with this. I'm, I'm not even kidding. As soon as we like left the table and mm -hmm. got in his car, I looked at him and go, I will pay for your speeding ticket. Yeah. Get me home. I'm gurgling now. I was miserable for like two and a half hours. Oh, wow. It was, it just, my stomach, it, it was like a stomach, like it was like instant food poisoning. And then I told him, I go, I think it's food poisoning. It's like, maybe it was. So what did we do? Try it again. again? Two for two. <laughs> After that, I was like, oh, I'm not doing it third time. You know, they say third time's a try. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Actually, I did have Indian food once after that, and I picked, like, the most mundane thing, and I didn't eat a lot of it, but I was pretty much living off of the naan bread. Mm -hmm. Which is which delicious is on its own. Great, which is, I loved it. And mm -hmm. I think that saved me. I didn't enjoy myself at the, at the dinner because I was so concerned. I was going to, like... Yeah, you're already... You're going to have to call out. You're already sweating. Yeah, I'm like, no. So what brought the move from San Francisco to here? Because, I mean, on paper, it seems like the goal of a career in this industry and tell me if I'm wrong it's like you know you worked your way up to being a chef mm -hmm. and then having that title of executive chef seems like okay I've, I've, I've made it after this it's James Beard and Michelin so executive chef right now I'm not an executive chef I am close to it I I pretty much have the role of it but yeah it's a chef de cuisine um some places might call it a uh, head chef you know, if you're a little more like not in the brigade, the Escoffier brigade system. The web based system? Escoffier. Uh, the Escoffier. Is, yeah, is it Escoffier or Escoffier? I say Escoffier, but who knows? Yeah, it's a potato potato and it's a tomato. tomato. Uh, ketchup or catsup? Ketchup. Well, catsups. No, that's made. That's different. <laughs> that's a whole different animal. That's that's like the ketchup from China. <laughs> I, oh, but, God. You you and these jokes, man. I'm not the <laughs> like, sugar one at the beginning of it. I am a caveman. I am a, I am literally a... He is trying to get campful. A, uh, what do you call it? I'm a, like a, um, I still speak in the 90s. I, I say the R word. I do. I won't say it on, on for, for sake of... Go to the comedy shows with me, man. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm all down for comedy. Hans Kim. Oh, yeah, which I haven't heard his comedy. I don't think, I know of him, obviously, from Logan. I saw him at a, like, like, open mic bank thing, and I was just like, I was watching this going like, like, wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and and you're, you're, as a joke is being told, you sometimes are trying to predict where is this guy. Mm -hmm. 
And I had an idea because I was like, well, I know the group of comedians he's with. So the, the, they're, they're not playing R. They're playing like NC-17 or X with the jokes. Right. So I know he's not going to just, you know, lightly touch on something. I'm like, is he going to go hard on the paint? Is he? Oh, yeah, he did. And you're just sitting there going like. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Comedy is like the one thing where I think like when you're going into that room to hear jokes. Oh, no. You have to just be aware that this is like a sacred area. Yeah. Where everything can be set. Really? And, and anytime you tell those jokes outside of that sacred area that we all agree to be equally open to being offended and having our thoughts challenged, well, well, then you get in trouble. Also, I work in kitchens. I've been working in kitchens for, you know, 19 years now. And... That is, like, you think comedy clubs are rough? Like, dude, kitchens are the worst. Yeah, like, oh. probably worse than, like, old school military would be in my kitchen. But it's all, but it's almost like a comedy club because nothing's said, like, seriously. Yeah. Like, it's all, it's all a joke. It's all just in vain. And it's because it's such a high pressure environment. You have to alleviate that pressure somehow. So dark comedy, yeah, not alcohol on, on the clock. Not anymore. That's how it used to be. I never could be that guy. No. Like, I'm like, why would I waste a buzz by working in a hot kitchen? That sounds like shit. It sounds miserable. Or going to work high. Like, I would, I was going to say, what are you, high? <laughs> but they'd be like, yeah, yeah actually, actually, I'm high. Actually, I'm really high right now. Like, why would you waste a high? <laughs> you know, I never got that. And that is one thing about the, uh, the whole culinary world that I'm, I'm enjoying seeing change. Is the uh, the movement towards uh, like mental and physical health, than just being like the chain smoking, like you know, party all night, get four hours of sleep, go trudge through you know twelve hour shift kind of mentality that it it was, and uh, I used to even adopt. I was going to ask you about that because like you know we touched on earlier that Hell's Kitchen is is not real mm-hmm. in the sense right. of like that if that existed today, then. Would they probably be out of business? That chef would be on TV for being, you know, having disgruntled employees and all sorts right. of lawsuits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or shot, <laughs> poison. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, you have a peanut allergy. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. What would be an accurate depiction in like a show or cinema that would be closest? And when I mean show, I mean Anthony Bourdain famously. I think made cooking cool. Yeah. Not not like, oh, I, that's great. That's I want to learn how to do that. Like I think he made what that lifestyle that you're talking about. Like he 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 personified it to this rock star status. He did. Like, yeah, he made he made cooking, yeah, like he would say like a rock star kind of thing. The thing is, Anthony Bourdain was so good with words and telling stories that you know, he could be talking about anything, and I think you would just you would be just as enthralled. But I think he got people more interested in um, like trying new things. I think that was the biggest his biggest impact on society is just try new things. Try you know go to your friend's house who might be you know like Cambodian and you know eat eat his food or whatever. Do you, do you know anyone who ever like had ever eaten at the restaurants that he was at or had oh, at Leal? Uh yeah, yeah the oh, chef I just worked for Andy. He he had he had known Anthony Bourdain. He he worked with a lot of the Food Network people like 
He worked for Bobby Flay for a little while. And because Anthony Bourdain's no longer with us, unfortunately. I mean, when I heard that, that was like... It was a rough one. And I hate to be a dick, but I'm like, dude, you have the fucking best job in the world. Like, And it's hard to say, like, how could you be depressed? But it's like, yeah, there's, you know, everybody's got their own shit. Didn't seem out of character. Yeah, and so, like you, yeah, like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so it's not like she was this depressed person, like, oh, I would see this one coming. It was like when I heard Kurt Cobain had killed himself when I was a teenager. There was already... Yeah, like it adds up. There was song lyrics, there was comments, there was already, you know... There was heroin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like when, you, when you have that, it, it was like, it came as a huge shocker. Could he, like, walk the walk and talk the talk as a, a chef? Yes, he could. He had the knowledge and he had a skill set. So he d rightly deserved... Yeah, he was like, he was an interesting... Or, uh, uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy because he... Not necessarily like, like, you know, it's like, how do you define intelligence and intellect? You know, like he was like for a chef, he was very smart. Yeah. Was he very smart, like in the kitchen running things? I don't know, because I never worked for him. Don't know anyone who worked for him. I mean, he held his own. But if you read his book or any of his books, you know that he also fucked up a lot. And like, you know, he had his personal shit and yeah, screwed people over and whatnot. He had that part that made him not great. But he was just, a, you know, I think he was just meant to be a writer. And he... uh he just found it through food. Yeah, he just, you know, he, he, he just knew how to make words. Yeah, like it. So kitchen jobs are a lot of people like, like I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be a cook, mm -hmm. you know? There's a lot of those kind of cooks out there, and I think he started that way and then maybe fell in love with it and grew from there and all that. And then he was supposed to be a Hunter Thompson, Outkowski kind of guy. He always reminded me of Hunter S. Thompson. He did, yeah. Um, just like if if Hunter's Thompson was a chef and maybe had a better outlook on life, <laughs> possibly. You know, I think it depends on what era of Hunter S. Thompson. That's very true. Yeah. You no. Know. Did you ever watch that uh, docu series documentary on uh, Amazon about Hunter S. Thompson? Gone. I have. I've seen that one, and then they, there was another like smaller one before that that I had seen too. Because you know Cody is like super into Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. But I always tell him like you got to watch this shit. Yeah, Hunter S. Thompson is just such a. Uh, He's just a, an interesting guy. Yeah, one of a kind. Back to the question. Yeah, films. Like, is Burnt, like, is that a... I love that movie. I love Burnt. I think uh, I've never worked at a Michelin star restaurant, but I know the standards and I know the culture of it just from people that have. I read more than just, you know, Food and Wine magazine and stuff. So I know that is definitely probably only a slightly exaggerated version of how Michelin star restaurants do because I mean a Michelin star restaurant is under so much pressure, immense pressure. So chefs are a lot more on edge. Stern, stern. Yeah, because it's like everything does literally have to be perfect. Like it has to be perfect. People that eat there, for one, are they know cuisine. They're not. They're not just people off the street. Like, oh, let's try this place. Then I like the random tourists. Like, hey, we're in town. Let's go eat here. Exactly. No, these are people that know what the experience should be like be like and have and know what the expectation is what the standards are and everything like that and they'll hold you to it more than you probably you know anybody else would so yeah it's a it's a pressure cooker so you're yeah you're an asshole and if people make mistakes like you're gonna lose your shit because they can also take michelin stars away absolutely yeah and they have like plants or whatever you want to call them they have people that go into michelin star restaurants and will do certain things to test the michelin star even with like service and stuff like that like they'll place a fork on the floor and like try to hide it and stuff see if somebody notices come by and pick it up 
Really? Yeah, goofy ass shit like that. I always wanted to ever. I'm a Thatcher. That would be a sweet job. That would be like Mike the Saboteur. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> you know what would be really great is if they did that with celebrities. So that now you have to deal with like, am I going to offend the ego of a celebrity because they're, you know, make, like, sir, you can't be screaming and yelling in here, you know? Yeah. Like imagine like Russell Brand when he wasn't so, or like, hey, Russell. <laughs> Go to this restaurant and, and have one too many glasses of wine. Let's just see what happens, you know. But get him to the Greek Russell brand. Exactly. I love that movie. So Michelin star is one thing. That's why I'm saying there's so many different facets of the culinary world. Yeah. So I have no, would I like to learn certain things from Michelin star, working in a Michelin star place? Yes. But I know I couldn't take like that abuse. Somebody were to offer you like a, like a, like a two, like a one month, like, hey, like a wordage or whatever. Yeah, for like a month. Hopefully paid because, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I don't do free stages anymore. But you would take that? I would take it. Rene Redzepi from Noma. Oh, yeah. You can go work for him. In, in Denmark. In, yeah, in Denmark, in, in Copenhagen. And he'll, uh, he'll uh, pay for your lodging and stuff like that. And you can do like a two-month like kind of mentorship thing. And he has you work in different areas of it. Like you can work in the uh, fermentation lab and you can work, you know, on the, probably not on the line, but, you know, helping prep. The chef that I worked for at Shore did that. Really? He was there. Yeah. I think he was there for like three months because he was working for Paul Key at the time. And, and who's that? He was a, he's like a kind of famous celebrity chef. Like he was, he was a high end chef uh, from Texas. Okay. Uh, the Dallas area off Lamar, you know, Eastside Kings. There's a restaurant called Eastside Kings off of Lamar. Uh -huh. He is part of that, but he fell into some trouble by uh, beating his either wife or girlfriend mm -hmm. and his kind of empire crumbled. But before all that happened, uh, Brandon had worked for him and got the opportunity to go do that uh, stage up there in, at, in Copenhagen. That's cool. And he said it was a great experience. I would do that, but you know, I'm also at an age and I have a certain life to where I'm not a 20-year-old single guy anymore. So it's not as easy for me to just, like, ditch my you know, obligation. Yeah, like, I have, you know, I have a kid. I'm a 16-year-old daughter. He'll enjoy the teenage years some days. I think only 14 and 15. My, <laughs> my four-year-old has already given us lip. It's so funny. So he was up first before his big brother. He came into a bedroom where Sashawn and I were just waking up. And then he's like in bed with us talking. And then he like gets up. I'm like, where are you going? He's like, to the kitchen. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you going to do? His response was, well, you'll find out when I'm back. He's four. That's it. And he just leave. <laughs> and I get up and my wife's like, we're going, I don't trust him. <laughs> I don't trust him. <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm, I need to follow him. Like, yeah. You don't have that surprise. Yeah. Would I like to learn certain things? Yes. But. You know, in this in this day and age now, with like just the um, the wealth of knowledge at your fingertips, like literally at your fingertips, off of your phone and stuff, like you can learn that kind of stuff just by somebody's got a video out there somewhere. What is it that you think everyone at home could do just to make their food more enjoyable or taste better? Salt. <laughs> <laughs> And you said, hey, the reason everything tastes better at a restaurant is butter and salt. Butter and salt. And I said, what do you mean? And, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, mm -hmm. everyone at home 
is so worried about using too much salt that they don't use the right amount of salt. So they're undersalting everything. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, if you saw the amount of salt that goes into most foods at a restaurant, you probably would not want to eat the food. And when you add butter, you just keep adding more butter. Fat, salt, acid. The three things you can do to make your cuisine better by regulating those things. And by regulating, I mean using a lot more of. Use more lime juice. Use more salt, use more coconut oil, whatever you, whatever fat you're using, use more of it. That's the hack. That's the hack. It's, it's not more coriander. Well, I don't know. I do love coriander. <laughs> I always say, it's like, yeah, is Panda Express Chinese food? Uh, no, it's California cuisine. To some people, it's delicious. And like, it's, if it's good, if it tastes good, it tastes good. It may not be, it may not be authentic. Right. But like, if it's good, it's good. Yeah, I don't know, like, uh, like I know Chinese food, I've, eaten at a lot of like really nice uh, Chinese restaurants and stuff. But it's like, yeah, is beef and broccoli Chinese food? Kind of, but no, it's Chinese American food. I think that's just the easiest answer. Just say it's that culture plus America food, like General Tso's chicken. That was created in America. Yeah, so was um, the fortune cookie. Oh, was it? Yeah. That was a- I'm trying to think of, trying to think of where that I they didn't like, extrapolate anything from Chinese culture to, to like foods that built America. And like, it was like a whole thing on the history channel. There was like the whole thing on hot dogs and hamburgers. And I think one of them was about Chinese food, about how chop suey is one thing, but it became something different in San Francisco uh, during, during the building of San Francisco. And then like how the fortune cookie kind of came out of this. And I've always wanted to um, start a business called Unfortunate Cookies, where you just open it up and it's just like one for the thing. Like, like just, oh. You will die alone. Oh, yeah. thank you, unfortunate cookie. Yeah. Actually, nobody loves you. Yeah, right. stuff like that. I thought it, I thought it'd be fun. Santa Claus isn't real. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. Super bummer cookies. It's like the booger flavored jelly bean. Yeah. Fortune cookies. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. When they did the uh, Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. The sour milk one was the worst. I will eat jelly beans. Oh, I hate jelly beans. We were at uh, Six Flags or something. Peyton was just like... Uh, 10 years old or something. So she had them. And then, you know, you're standing in line for an hour and a half, you know, waiting to get on a ride. And they're, you know, goading me to do it. And I'm like, ah, fine, fine I'll do it. Mm -hmm. I immediately regretted that. It was awful. I remember jelly beans, those jelly bellies as a kid. And I remember everybody would always love the butter popcorn. I don't know. Yeah, that's so those are so gross. I only like the ones that taste like strawberry or like, you know, mm -hmm. sour apple. Even those, like, you don't love it. No. <laughs> you don't love them. I realize this, I don't like can. I like chocolate, very different. To me, chocolate is not even in the same category. It's like, no, especially someone like dark chocolate. I'm not a big chocolate person either, except for dark chocolate. I do like a, like a more bitter kind of chocolate, like chocolate as a savory. We're talking like, like an 85% sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I like that with, with um, espresso. Talk about bitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> or the dark chocolate uh, covered espresso beans. Oh yeah, those are good too. Those are great. I've never been like a big sweets guy. Like I don't have a sweet tooth. Even as a kid, I don't think I did. I'm more of a salty, spicy kind of guy. Speaking of spicy, um, at HGB, have you seen the Ejole tortilla chips? Ejole? Yeah. Yeah. I love those things. <laughs> I can eat like a bag. Wanted to get me something as a gift for like my birthday. Mm -hmm. And they came over with like five bags of those. Maybe like my new favorite fried. Yeah. Those are the ones they make inside H-E-B, those ones, like the... Yeah, and having just plastic. Yeah, they throw them the big plastic thing. Yeah, yeah. But they're covered in this delicious, beautiful red, red powder. Red powder stuff, I'm yeah. I'm just 
bottle that because I was like, I would love to cook with the heat is in that stuff. Yeah. Like spicy chicken tallies. I just learned that. Like to me, that, that seasoning is just amazing. Isn't it insane? Like how, how well HEB has nailed being like a supermarket. Yeah. It's like the best supermarket you've ever been to. It's insane. It is. It really is. And I feel like we're doing a whole plug for HEB, right? We are definitely. Wait. Their brand stuff is good, if not better than some of the major brand stuff. As a kid, I never thought I'd ever buy like the Kroger version right. of anything. Mm -hmm. But then I'll see like, oh, I have Ritz. But then I have HEB crab because I'm like, well, I know I like their cookies in the bakery. Yep. I, I can't find it. But if you want to... Their, their H-E-B Coca-Cola style stuff when they used to be able to sell it in Glass, mm -hmm. it was on par of the Mexican Coke. It, but now you can't, I can't find it in glass. It's all in aluminum and I try to not buy anything in aluminum cans. Mm -hmm. And if people are like, why? Well, it's a whole thing. Yeah. I, I, I know your plight. H-E-B <laughs> is on. And then you go to Central Market and you're like, oh, it's H-E-B kicked up a notch. Their bakery. Yeah, I have to literally run through it. Me too. Because it is just too enticing. I, I, I want one of every I, baguette. Yeah. I want everything. It just, it's, the whole place smells like the freaking bakery. If I was craving bread and fish, mm -hmm. and I happen to go to a central market. It's a very Jesus meal, by the way. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm getting the hair for it. Give me the robe and sandals. I don't know if I would able, be able to, like, walk out without spending... Two hundred dollars on something like that, which is one bag of groceries at Central Markets. Just so everyone's clear. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because they have like all that beautiful fish on display. Yeah, it's, sometimes they'll have like whole tuna. Speaking of of fish, have you gone to Uchi? I went to Uchiko, like the smaller one. Okay. Uh, when I first moved here, it was Easter. Okay. And I didn't know anybody, and I'm like, I wasn't working yet, so I'm like, I'm gonna treat myself. So I knew about uh, Tyson. Uh, coal and the whole, you know, high hospitality thing. So I'm like, I was able to get into Uchiko. I went there and I spent a good amount of money on myself. Well, but it was great. Uchi, I, I went recently, like a few months back recently with some, uh, some neighbors for uh, one, her birthday. The menu's broken down into like three menus right on there. So you have like one side is like rolls that are more traditional and then you have their specialty rolls and then they have everything imported from Japan. That is the list. Yeah. So next thing you go, just say you want one of everything on that list, and it will be the. I would order one thing from here. We ordered, my wife. I ordered like something from like the specialty roll menu, and then I I ordered myself like one piece of sushi from here or whatever it was. And everything off of the the import from Japan list was in, unbelievable. And it's the only time I've ever had sushi that rivaled the best sushi I've ever had, which was a place called Nakazawa in New York. I think in hairdressing terms. So he was like the assistant. A sushi chef. For um, Jiro. Oh, from the from Tokyo uh, subway. Yeah, so Jiro. in the documentary, and he has his own spot. From my knowledge, he does everything the way Jiro, Jiro did it. Everything after that tastes like what they call, uh, what, gas station sushi? Yeah, yeah. That list from Japan at Uchi is rivaled at that. So now I don't have to go to New York again. So that, would yeah. be, so that would be one place you could wait to go to New York and eat that, or just go to Uchi and just order one of everything. And it will probably run you about the same amount of money. Yeah, Uchi's not cheap. One of my best meals I've had, um, in both terms of the food and the service as well, uh, was Nobu. 
Really? Yeah, the Nobu in Vegas. I've never gone to Nobu. Yeah, fantastic food. The reason I never went to Nobu is because anytime a lot of celebrities like going somewhere, mm-hmm. I just assume it's more of a scene mm-hmm. than it is actually about the craft of, of food. And for like, there are some places like the plague, like one, like, well, we talk about this in LA, Animal. Yeah, Love Animal, which is not around. Right, I know. RIP. That was my favorite restaurant in it, LA. It, it was the only place I felt that actually cared about food mm-hmm. for foodies. And the fact that you couldn't change anything on the menu. Right. And they didn't care. And they didn't cater to celebrities. It was a communal table. Communal table. I remember yeah. we were, I was there with uh, my friend, a makeup artist, uh, and my roommate, right? And then I could have reached out and touched the other table, and that was Jonah Hill and all of his friends. Mm-hmm. They didn't get any special treatment, and I loved it. Especially in LA. Like, you almost have to, like, it doesn't happen. Do it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. And their cookbook, is that's the whole reason I went there, is because their cookbook. Yeah. Two dudes, one pan. Yeah, those chefs, and they have a lot of different restaurants, so it's not like they're, you know, struggling or anything. I just, I don't know why Animal had to close it. I know the pandemic effed every, every freaking chef, restaurant, small business, everything in the world. But, like, Son of a Gun survived, which yeah. is their fish restaurant. That was good. It was good. Yeah, I went, I went there, too. It was the best lobster roll I've ever had. I don't remember when I ordered, but I do remember going... This is phenomenal. I'm sure you had the uni pasta. You see that on the menu, you gotta have it. I don't think I had that mini pasta. I don't remember what I had. I was on a date and um, I think we were like splitting things because uh, it was like a few things that sounded good, but we didn't know if we wanted to commit to 100% that. Like, what if that's not good? But this is, seems good, so let's just order both. Mm-hmm. One of the rare times when you and the date were wanting the same items on the menu is from McMullen. Yes, so we're again. I guess that's where we're going. Let me get on this hair off here real quick. So, so it's laying back, which is nice. Yes. Um, do you want to run your hands through your hair and let me know how it feels? Is that about the right length? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's perfect. Awesome. All right. So now I'm going to go through and really like shave and get this up a little bit tighter. So, what's your favorite restaurant that you've been to lately in uh, in Austin? In Austin lately, these are always such hard questions. I have to like. Put my, uh, it can be any, put my chronological time tap on. Last really good meal I had in Austin was uh, Ember. If you haven't been there, it's, I haven't. it's, uh, it's Mexican or Latin cuisine. I don't know if it's 100% Mexican, but it's definitely more interior Mexican, not Tex Mex, but like high end, like masa cakes with crema and caviar on them, which are actually probably the least tasty thing on the menu. But everything else was great, and they're, they had these, they do blue and yellow corn tortillas, like, that they make themselves. Oh, cool. But they're uh, mixed together, so these kind of tie-dye tortillas. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, they were super tasty, super fatty. I think they use, like, beef tallow or probably menteca. You know what else we got? We got some meat. Uh, I don't remember which cut, if it was, like, Babette or whatever. But that place was awesome. Have you made the La Candessa? Yeah, I, I went a few years ago to La Candessa. Yeah. That's the other thing about living in these... Uh, you know, large metropolitan areas. Like, there's so many good restaurants. We went to Suerte when it first opened up. Okay. And it was, like, okay. But that's what happens when restaurants first open up. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they haven't, like, nailed it down quite yet with, like, staff and stuff. But it was it was good. They, there was just a few misses here and there. They serve one of my favorite meats in a taco, which is uh, Suomadero. I really just want to go because they're known, apparently, for, like, that, that meat. That, that, that cut. Yeah. 
Or they're, they're known for doing a really good job. It's not a meat you see often on a menu. So No, I don't even know if I'm 100% sure of what it is. Sugadero? Swadero. Swindero? Swadero? Swadero? I don't know how to say it exactly because, you know, when I speak Spanish, I sound like John Lane, right? Oh, Moteyama. It could have. Like, I'm just a real dare to. Love that movie, by the way. Oh, that's crazy. I like how you and I know exactly what that is. And somebody in here is like, what? I'm like, oh, Inglorious Bastards. You haven't seen Inglorious Bastards. Oh, you're for Danshi. Yes, um, Bergerno. And then it seems to be so good. I speak the second best Italian in this place. <laughs> yeah. Something to me, it was like the shoulder. And then I read that it's not the shoulder, but it's another part of the cow. But it's great. And I only know about it because my friend Robert, he, when we were in San Diego after this like 91X music festival, he's like, oh, this is really good taqueria near here. So we went there and it's, they have one in San Diego. They also have one in Vegas. I had to go to that one every time I was in Vegas. And it's called Tacos del Gordo de Tijuana. And it was just like one of those things you're like, okay, like this is so good. I, I had it. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, like they had really good Al Pastor and they had really great Suadero. And those are the two tacos I would just order every single time. And uh, Sorte has Suadero men. So it's one of those like, I really want to go, but I also hear you have to get a reservation quite ahead of time. Yeah, they're, they're a popular restaurant. I actually have uh, two cooks that work for me at Tilly's that uh, came from uh, Suerte. Sometimes you can get, sometimes places will leave a little bit of tables for walk-ins. And if you get in early enough or at the right time, you can do it. then you can do it. Yeah. Especially when restaurants first open up. Yeah. Uh, like we had... What was that place called? Uh, Lin Wu, I think is what it's called. Lin Wu. It just opened up by where I live, like off of Southwest Parkway. They're, they have a restaurant here called Lin. It's known for like their soup dumplings, one of those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, so they opened up a new place uh, down off Southwest Parkway called Lin Wu, which was kind of like a uh, even higher end version of Lin. Do you do you have a, a particular cuisine that you 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 love to just enjoy? So not necessarily cook. This is the first time I've actually mentioned down here. You and I were in a band together. Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. So, yeah, but we didn't even discuss. We didn't oh, I meant to bring. That. I meant to bring pictures. Oh no, I have pictures. It was. It's, it's ridiculous. You you haven't changed at all. You still look like you from that era. No, yeah, just a little more gray. Yeah, yeah. And I had wild hair then. I'd always, mm -hmm. I'm like a chameleon or whatever. It's like with music, there would be music pieces or songs I never wanted to learn because I was wanting to be in awe. Right. So like after I learned the Metallica solo for one, I realized like oh. It's not as hard as it sounded. Now, my first pick guitar would have never said that. I'd be like, that is really fucking hard. Yeah, I mean, you got the tapping and whatnot. Yeah, yeah when you start running like dream theaterists, mm -hmm. you know, you, 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 your, your level kind of what you think is easy becomes uh, different. And mm -hmm. only telling that story because, like, are there cuisines that you go, I love this so much. And I never want to learn how to do this because I just want to enjoy it. You just want to have the mystique of it? Yeah. The mystique of it? I don't think so. Like, I, because all my favorite cuisines, I, like, uh, the way I approach food is if I like something, I learn as much about it as I can. So I kind of, I kind of dive into it. So my favorite cuisines are, like, the Southeast Asian ones, uh, Japanese, Thai, Korean. And so I learn how to make that stuff. Like, I make my own kimchi and things like that, because I love it. And I like to do that stuff at home. Do I do it in a restaurant? Not necessarily. Like, do I want to do it every day? Probably not. So I think that's more of like, like we're talking about, like, yeah. would I want to do it every day? No, but I do 
like it and I do want to learn about it. Okay, I get that. That's cool though. Like when I learned the skin fade. Mm-hmm. Would I want to do skin fades all day long? Yeah, no. The answer is no. Fun, yeah. But I like that I know how. And I, if I need to, somebody comes in, hey, I want skin fade. All right, I can give you your skin fade. But I don't, if I only did skin fades, it would really lose its fun. So when I cook at home, I do like to do things that are time consuming, take a lot of time. Because mm-hmm. um, you're not, it's no pressure. Uh, this haircut. I yeah. do haircuts in 45 minutes. It's not, this is taking like, what, an hour? <laughs> like, I'm on vacation. Like, I'm right. in a like, exactly. slow down, and we can just talk and hang out. Right. Cooking at a restaurant, cooking at home, I'm, an, I'm a completely different person. Especially being a chef, it's more of management than cooking. Yeah. Uh, until you have to, you know, people don't show up or you're short staff and you do have to cook. And then that's when I actually enjoy it more. Is when you're short staffed? You when I have to work a station. Yeah. No, it sucks to be a short staff. Judging by the text messages you and I had exchanged for you to, you know, schedule, it did not seem like you enjoyed Yeah. It's going down. But this is, and it's more like frustration, you know, it's just like, because on top of, you know, having to work that station or whatever, you still have all your other duties for the day you have to do. So it just prolongs your day. Like, yeah, you got you. That's already a long day. Well, you know, caffeine, what a great drug. As I say, it's like the only socially acceptable joy, <laughs> uh, you know, that I can, uh, that you can do while still drive a corner. Do you have like any ideas of like where the future of food is going? Do you think restaurants and, you know, are, are they evolving? And I'm always saying it's because the food truck model sort of in a way was the disruptor of food. I can see that. So food's cheaper because you have less overhead. And I'm imagining the profit margins are equal to a restaurant or greater. I don't know enough about it to, to answer that 100%, but- Appearance wise, I imagine. Because you still do have permits and you still do have rent. You know, like you have to rent the spot, the spot that you're parked at. Because food trucks are like stationary food trucks. Yeah, like tra- what we call trailer. Trailer, yeah, trailer. The ones I was talking about, like the Koji truck in California, where like they would drive it and they'd say, oh, Twitter, we're going to be here yeah. today. And then they would show up and they would sell. And then they'd say, like, tomorrow we're going to be over on this street. And it was, from my knowledge, they didn't, I don't think you had to pay for the. You have to pay to park. Like you need like kind of one of those like universal city parking permits, like uh, um, what would be like, you know, like utility companies and shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I think you have to have one of those. Yeah. But I don't know how cheaper than those are. I mean, yeah, rent is ridiculous. Have you ever thought about going in that route before? When I was in Palm Springs, I, I wanted to own a food truck. Uh, but Palm Springs does not allow food trucks. Really? Yeah. They did not allow food trucks. I don't know if, I don't know why. But they were just like, yeah, we actually, there's no way to get a permit to have a food truck in in Palm Springs like that. What is that? Coachella Valley, Geldio, Indio County, whatever the county yeah. is. I mean, it might have changed by now. But this was in, you know, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. Because I know they had food check, food trucks at Coachella. Yeah, which might, that might be different because it's in a bed. And I bet they're not from Palm Springs. They're probably L.A. food trucks. Yeah, I remember there was a couple. I was like, oh, I remember that. They had a Koji truck, I think, one time. And they had a, I think the Lagro tequila had a margarita trough or something. Um, obviously, you know, throwing that on the streets of California. No, it'd be pretty sweet, though. It would be pretty sweet. It was fun to learn about the restaurant world a little bit because that's so foreign for me. And like I said, I think we only get to see the celebrity chef stuff and we only get to see what, like, Burnt or, like, yeah. Anthony Bourdain thing. But we don't, like, you know, what's it really... Is it really as exciting as they make it seem or is it more, more, more like, mundane? And I think talking to you 
depending on which level of a restaurant, you're going to get something more similar mm-hmm. or more distant from from the, the from LA or like even the movie Chef with um, with John Favreau. Yeah, so that actually at the beginning of the movie when he has the restaurant that's owned by Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, that's probably closer to like a real like a, a restaurant that is a popular restaurant, not necessarily a celebrity chef, but a, a known chef for that area, in this case, LA, or even maybe just that neighborhood of LA. And the the battle between being the chef and wanting to change things and stuff, and then the owner saying, you know, talking about the Rolling Stones, like if you go to see the Rolling Stones and they don't play satisfaction, then you're gonna be disappointed. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to keep those, the menu items the same. You know, even though the chef had a plan to change the whole menu and, and was excited about it. Then the owner comes in and shits on that. Yeah. So there is that aspect too. Like you you do cater to owners sometimes. But then also like there's some restaurants that are permanently, you know, time capsule for mm-hmm. for a reason. Like Musso and Frank's in LA to me would be like one of those places like it isn't the oldest still functioning restaurant in LA. And you go there for that service and that yeah. food of that time mm-hmm. because it's not it's the rat pack era it's like not stink house right yeah yeah and then you have house of prime rib in san francisco yeah same thing like it's an institution it is like if they changed people would riot i don't know it'd be like going to france and the eiffel tower not being there exactly yeah so there it would be open those statue of liberty you're like what you got rid of the skyscrapers why 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 that's what made this like there's like these institutional models that i think have to never change there is and so certain types of people work there right that's going to be a certain type of server a certain type of chef is going to be there knowing that he has zero creativity that meaning is not changing so what do you think they did find a job like that is is it like they are not creative or they're all about like you know like a almost like a food historian like i want to help preserve i would say 80 percent of me says that it's just someone who it's just a job to them like they've been a cook just because that's what they did, yeah. not necessarily a passion project, but they're good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And then they moved up and they understand the numbers game of being a chef. And then they just go to that place and, and, and yeah, it's easy. It's like the same shit every day. Like you don't have to think too hard about that part of it. You just have to make sure everything's going right. I imagine like there'd probably be like a certain technical skill level. Yeah. You have to be in, in, like in hairdressers and, 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 and chefs or cook in that world of cooking. Like, mm-hmm. we probably have a lot more in common. We talked about that. I think you said at one point, like, if you didn't go to school for doing food, like, you could maybe saw yourself doing hair. And I was like, oh, if I didn't do this, if I was a band, I'm doing hair, I would go into cooking immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, two professions where you can show up objects. That's right. Yeah. It's using your hands and you don't have to be outside. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's what drew me to it. Yeah. I want to work with my hands, but fuck working in the heat. Yeah. I'm not, yeah I don't want houses. Like, yeah. No. But, um, but I meant to, like there's hairdressers who are technically so skilled and they can cut anything you show them. But if you ask them to, to create something with no point of reference, can they do it? They don't have that part of that brain. part is not active. And I'm wondering, and I imagine that's like, in your world as well. Yeah, there's some people that it's just a job. And that's fine. Like we need those people too. Those are those are the people that are chefs at Applebee's or whatnot, you know. They're just it's just a job to them. They're only a manager because it pays more than being a line cook. Mm-hmm. But you know, the passion's just is it's just not that equal. Good. Yeah. They're just like 
it's cool. It's fine. So 20 years of doing this, how do you have passion? How do you keep the passion going for being a chef? It's going to sound crazy, but I like the, the pressure in a sense of like the fast pace environment and like the kind of crazy zoo that a, a kitchen is uh -huh. like it's organized chaos. If that makes any sense, like so many things are going wrong and so many things are going right at the same time that if I imagine myself being a CPA, like working on somebody's taxes, uh -huh. like I would rather be dead. I think as a chef, you never, it's almost like, uh, uh, it was Aristotle or Socrates who said like, uh, I know I'm a wise man because I know I know nothing kind of thing. That's what it's like being a chef and possibly being a hairdresser too is like, if you think you know it all, and you're probably like the dipshit that doesn't know anything. Like knowing that you don't know everything or that pretty much you don't know anything. Yeah. Um, is what drives you and makes you a better chef. Because like you're always learning and you have no ego. Like holding you back from, from evolving. I say something similar. I'm like I'm smart enough to know I know nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. I, 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 do we know things? Yes, we do. But I, I, it, the minute you say like, oh, I don't need any more education classes. So I don't need to learn anything. I'm like... Well, then just retire. Yeah, exactly. You've thrown, you've thrown in the towel, dude. Yeah, you've given up. Yeah, I learned every kitchen I've ever been in, I've learned something. And I I learn things from cooks more than anything. Rare. And it could just be something that they figured out yesterday. You know, they're just like, hey, I did this this certain way and stuff. And you're like, shit, that's the way I'm going to do it forever now. Yeah. All right. Like, I'm going to ask you one food tip for somebody out there. We already talked about butter and salt. One food tip you would give that everyone would probably be able to use in their own kitchen. The best restaurants out there, obviously they know their techniques and stuff, but it's all about your ingredients. So if you have great produce to start off with, your meal is going to end up awesome with little to no manipulation. Mm -hmm. I would say ingredients like get the best piece of fish, you know, splurge for the best piece of meat, you know, the higher end, the grass fed, the non, you know, don't get the shit that's already sealed up in a package kind of thing. Go to the counter. That's what's going to make your meal elevated. Okay. Cool. And fat, salt. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Spencer. You have to.